the Extra Podcast. This is episode number 258. My name's Greg. I'll be your host. Joining me around the table, Jeff. Hi. Ezra. Mm-hmm. Andy. Hola. Silent producer, Poochie. He gives a wave. Joining us in the studio, we have a live studio audience, and their names are Coralie and Megan, and they are part of our children's ministry staff, and they are observing how to record a podcast episode. Um, don't you think this is not a good idea for them to learn from us? So, how to... children's ministry wants to put out a podcast, which is a great idea, but oh. learning from Poochie how to do a podcast is mm-hmm. not a good idea. No. Example A. We this just... is our third take of this <laughs> podcast, which the first one was gold. felt natural and really good. This one feels forced already. Um, can I ask a quick question? So, or can I bring up... Th- these are not the only guests inside of our studio today. Who else and, is with us? Well, Andy has brought, Andy has brought a friend with him. <laughs> he, he apparently over last week, the weekend, he went down to Portland, Oregon, and he has come back with a, a coffee cup that has a unicorn wrapped around one side <laughs> of it with the actual head of the unicorn out one side and a little horn and a rainbow coming off of the unicorn's bum. <laughs> hey, uh, producer. Where did you, you get it? You can't have a bad day with this thing. You just can't. Where did you get this cup? Well, first of all, the fact that I got it in Portland should tell you everything. I mean, right there. But uh, there's a store in Portland called Fuego. And they got great Fuego? stuff. Fuego? Fire. Does that, that's yeah. fire, right? Mm. Right. And in fact, I found out that this cup is for purchase on thinkgeek or geekthink.com. You should check it out. There's some really funny stuff on there. Uh, and just geeky like your, Star Wars toys your, and stuff. Is your book on there? <laughs> See what you did there, Jeff. Is it a combo deal? <laughs> well, I'll tell you who you book can get isn't thinking. on there. You can get thinking with a unicorn mug <laughs> for all your serious questions and fun Unbel- drink needs. Unbelievable. <laughs> Just what I think. Hey, this isn't the only thing, but that's not you, the, your book. Your self-published book is not the only thing that you, you actually got somebody. <laughs> no, but recently, in all seriousness, you, you got somebody else asked you to write something. Right. Yeah. I got it. I got contacted by uh, somebody to write an article for a Bible. uh, the Apologetics uh, Study Bible, the student edition. I believe that's Holman that puts that out. Did Mr. Holman ask you? No. It was somebody. Did you not hear, Greg? That's right. So your your words are going to be right next to, like, Moses and Paul. That's right. That's right. (laughs) It's offset on the one side. (laughs) It's a lot to live up to, but uh, I'll sign you a copy, Jeff. I appreciate that. (laughs) And so the, the, the article is on what? Uh, the, uh, so the article is on tattooing. So I'm sure they're like, hmm, you know, we've exhausted all the cool topics and we need somebody to take on this who, one. And he's an apologetics guy who looks like, like he's a UFC fighter. He's really low on the totem pole. So Let's they called pick up him. Steiger. He's got to have a tattoo. He's got to have. What you don't know is he has no hair. <laughs> <laughs> he's got to have a tattoo of a lightning bolt on his back shoulder somewhere. Andy, do you have any tattoos? Irony is I do not have any tattoos. Although when I was 18, I asked my mom if I could get a tattoo of a dragon across my chest. Oh, Guess what she said, Mrs. Greg. Steiger, <laughs> why would you steer him in the direction of not getting that? I know, right? I had been watching too many kung fu movies or something. I should like... Yeah, so I don't. So you should have gone and gotten a tattoo just so that you could experience what it is that the people are, are saying there. Mm-hmm. Maybe I should do that. Well, in fact, 
So if you're wondering, the passage is Leviticus 19, verse 28. Which says, You shall not make any cuts on your body for the dead or tattoo yourselves. I am the Lord. And you don't agree with that. There's like what the Bible says and then what you say. <laughs> and then what Andy says. That's right. That's right. Uh, so, yeah. So I'm going to be arguing that uh, tattoos are fine. And if you want to hear ah, that, that Moses. you could wait for know? the Bible to come out oh, or... Moses. Wait for the Bible to come out. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great quote. Or uh, this summer, I'm going to be uh, doing a preacher's choice and I think I'm going to speak on tattoos. You need to now. Yeah, it's going to have to. You have now. to now. What are you going to call it? Tattoos. That's a oh, Come on. <laughs> get get, get ink. inked. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I like it. Do you have a tattoo, Jeff? So many. No, seriously, if you were to get a tattoo, what would it be? <laughs> Don't lie to me. Oh, uh, so I, there's so many choices. There's a guy in our church, by the way, who has a <laughs> tattoo on his shoulder. Gary, yeah. he's got a tattoo on his shoulder of like a, a, a Chicago Bulls <laughs> thing from because he really was into the Bulls in the nineties. It's one of those things. And he showed it to about. me, and I was like, "Oh wow, that was uh, that was a smart move on is your part." Is there a Ron Harper tattoo yeah, on the other shoulder? Totally. <laughs> so it's Longley. those it's those sorts of experiences that I think. Ugh. My uh, my wife's grandfather had he was a sailor and so he had tattoos up and down his arms. But at the time that I knew him, he was so old that you couldn't even make him out. You were like <laughs> trying to figure out what what is that, and it just looked like a discoloration on his arm. It used to be a tattoo, but it has been you know all the, all the washings <laughs> have taken it much much of it off. And then there's the guys who get the chain link around their arms or whatever. And I then, can see you doing. And then that. it looks like a jump rope. At the end of the, you know, because it sags so much. <laughs> at the end of the <laughs> No, I don't have any tattoos, Andy. I've, I, I don't want a tattoo. You've never wanted no, a tattoo. No, I've never, ever, ever wanted a tattoo. Ezzy, do you have a tattoo? No, you don't put a bumper sticker on a Ferrari. <laughs> you don't do this. Well, yeah, we know that. But what? It, <clears throat> about what about the tattoo? Uh, no, 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 no. So, no, are you a Ferrari? Is that what you're saying? Well, well, I don't know. I don't know, Ezra. What? Uh, what you doubt? I think you're. <laughs> what about like a VW van? Who you? <laughs> you. Totally. Yeah. Oh come on. As like, yeah. he's a, as he's a Cadillac. Come on, guys. No, oh, he's. No, no, no. What, what's a car wheels? that? No. What's a car that promises a lot and delivers very little? <laughs> a Kia. <laughs> it's like you're like a Buick. <laughs> oh, shame on you. Uh, no, Buicks are very good cars nowadays. Come on now. <laughs> That's good. Great. Uh, if you if you have any thoughts about whether or not Ezra, <laughs> what kind of car Ezra is, is, you just send that in, and Andy can sign his Bible and uh, send it out to you. Yeah, that's right. Absolutely. Perfect. Uh, which I will not do. I'm not signing the Bible. Oh, come on. I'm not doing it. Okay, just I sign mean, your article. I'll do that. We have found the line of Andy's self-promotion. <laughs> Bible signing. Good. <laughs> hey, we have a few Glad questions. you enjoyed that, Greg. <laughs> Uh, that Andy, was, I'm sorry. That was just for me. I'm sorry, Andy. Okay, uh, if you have a question for the Extra Podcast, you have to send it in to extra at northu.org. Uh, the first question we're going to try to tackle is from a, a frequent listener, longtime listener. Uh, first, before we actually read a portion of the email. I don't actually think he listens to the podcast. <laughs> I think he just sends in the questions. You think so? Yeah. All right, well, we'll see. Uh Recently, we tried to tackle one of his questions and then got some feedback that we basically answered it in a completely different direction than he wanted it to yep. be answered. So we're going to give it a go. Which illustrates the very 
point of the question that he's going to be asking. Right. The difficulty in interpreting someone's communication act, or what we call hermeneutics. Right. So here is, uh, I'm going to read a portion of the email. It's, uh, I'm not going to read it all, and then I'm going to read the question that he asks. So he says, it's easy to say that we need purity when it comes to true doctrine, but the immediate question is, what constitutes true doctrine? It's very difficult to know when you've got it because of all the hermeneutical layers used to get at it. I start with the assumption that we at Northview are only partially correct in our expression of the Christian faith. Let's say an optimistic 50%. The thing is, we don't know exactly which parts are correct and which are not. The beauty is that the Catholics, Greek Orthodox, Baptists, and Canadian Reformed folks are in the same boat. So with serious engagement with these people, we all might be able to get to 51% and then maybe 52. So what might be my extra podcast question? Maybe this, don't we need purity to have unity and unity to have purity? So I want to, I want to interact with several parts of what he's written here. Um, uh, first, I want to make sure that we understand that I don't understand him to be saying that unity requires unanimity of thought, right. meaning that everybody has to agree. In fact, it's the disagreements that we have that help grow grow us. And so that's the part that he's trying to say is that we need to get together and have open, open you know, lines of dialogue and not shut ourselves off from one another. Because some people, when they hear of unity, think, well, we know we need to get together and, you know, celebrate our common, our common ideas in worship services and stuff. That's not what I'm reading him say here. Um, maybe we should, maybe we shouldn't get together and do those common worship services and stuff. That That's a different question. I think what he's trying to say is, no, we we need to be in dialogue with one another. And in that sense, that's the uni- unity. And the unity then, that unity le- will lead to greater purity in the church. That's what I'm understanding him to say. And so based upon what he's saying, I, yeah, I think that there is, I, I would agree absolutely that there needs to be an open dialogue between different um, people who live currently, between different denominational folks. Um, I, when I prepare a sermon, uh, I I always read people outside my tradition, always. I, in fact, if you if you are part of my tradition, I'll usually have one commentary open that's like that. But I'll go to m- several others to try to understand. You know, how are they reading this and understanding this, and what is their their viewpoint? I think that that's the best way to understand the mm. text because you're hearing from s- several different voices. In fact, the Mennonite brethren have a word for the phrase for this, Greg. Mm. What's it called? Yeah, the community hermeneutic. Yeah, and th- I think that there's a whole debate about what that means. But the minute I br- that basically, it means yeah, we should probably be listening to people outside of our of our group. That applies, by the way, to not just people who are living currently who are d- in different traditions, but people from ages gone by. The, if you don't ever read a church, one of the church fathers on some of the passages, or a Calvin, or a Luther, or a Wesley, or <laughs> like you're crazy. Hmm. Because they don't, they're not confined into the particular challenges that we have in, in, in the Western world and in our day. Likewise, this reaches across cultures. Sometimes it's funny, Ezra and I will talk about a text and we will see similar things, but also some different. So especially if it's got a historical or cultural background that has to do with like Eastern values, Ezra totally gets that. Whereas I, it's a little more difficult for me to access. So yeah, I totally agree that we need to have that unity. Here's my fear. My fear is in what he's what he's written. It, it it assumes, at least I perceive it to assume, that there is a that, that 
interpretation of the Bible is really, really difficult mm. and doesn't yield easy results at all. That there's so many different opinions about what every text means that we kind of have to throw our hands up in the air and say, we don't really know. Now, I don't, that's not, I don't think that he's intending that. I'm just saying that this is my warning, is that when you, when you buy into that kind of belief in the lack of the clarity of Scripture, it can lead you in some very, very bad places. Because then it just becomes a free-for-all for whatever anybody wants to think, and that doesn't lead to any kind of unity or purity. Mm-hmm. So I want to be really careful about that when, it, when I'm reading this. Mm-hmm. So there's a difference between <clears throat> feeling certain that we know everything there is to know and a, and feeling certain about knowing what we think has been revealed to us. Well, what has been revealed to us? What has been? Yeah. Well, we have it primarily in the scriptures. Right. So we have the general revelation that's been given to us in creation, but then we have the, and through God's providence, and these these are all general revelation, but to understand all those things rightly, we have, we have the written word of God mm-hmm. that's been given to us. Mm-hmm. And so we know about God because we have we have it in the book. The question then becomes, right, so how so that's the standard of knowledge of God. There there are things outside of the Bible, by the way, that are true about God that we do not know. Hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. But but let's leave those alone for a minute. We don't have access to them. We all agree. Mm-hmm. What we do have access to is the scriptures. So there's your standard. The challenge now is, okay, but how do we understand that standard? How do we interpret that standard? What I'm saying is I don't actually think that the... the I Maybe I'm naive, but I've been involved in theological discourse enough, and I, I just don't think hermeneutics are quite as difficult as people make them out to be. I don't think the Bible is quite as difficult to read. I just think that if there are a lot of opinions about something, it doesn't necessarily mean that all those opinions have the same kind of merit. Some of them mm. are dumb. Some of them are dumb. They're not in any way in line with what the author intends. And and please hear me when I say that. That I think that that's the way we understand any communication act. When Andy's talking to me, Mm. the closer I get to what he intends to mean, the closer my understanding is of what he intends to mean to me, the closer I am to understanding him 100%. And that's an important part, I think, to bring up is when we're talking hermeneutics, we're talking about the science of interpretation. So we're, we're interpreting either a person verbally or we're interpreting the written mm-hmm. words and we're seeking to understand, and this is what you're getting at here, Jeff, we're seeking to understand the intended meaning by the author to the audience, right? And, and that that's the idea of hermeneutics. That's the idea of interpretation. Now, as a, as a preacher, what you'll do, right, you know, or us when we're, you know, putting together a message is you're seeking to understand what's the intended meaning Mm. and it's from there that I'm going to apply that intended meaning into the current uh, context Um, but getting back to this point though okay we're we're studying the Bible we're we've got natural and general uh, sorry uh, natural revelation we got specific revelation from the Bible and we're seeking to understand things about God let's say Mm -hmm. Um, now how much can we know about God, how much can we know, or how certain can we be, you so, know, of so the amount of truth that we okay, have? Okay, but there's you're asking. I think you're asking two different questions. I am. There. I am. Like asking on the two one different hand, questions. you're saying how much can we know about God? My answer is as much as He's revealed to us through His Word. Yes. But then, mm-hmm. on the other side, I would say there's a level of certainty that you can have about those things that you know about God. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so listen, for me to have knowledge of a, of a thing, I don't need a hundred percent certainty on it. I don't. I don't know if I'm 100% certain I'm here right now. I think, 
I think I'm like a 90, what, 98, 99%. This could be a dream in the mind of a cat. Or but, we could say that you're certain, but that you can't necessarily prove it with 100% certainty. Sure, but my, when I'm using the word certainty, when when you when do you want to use what percentage? It's not an all or nothing thing. Do you want to have right right before you say I know it? Right now, that's a personal question. It is, but I'm saying that what seventy percent, sixty. There's different things I know with levels of certainty. Fifty one percent. Right, but that's different than saying, well, I don't. We don't know. Well, that's, that's not no. I I have levels of certainty on different issues, and my level of certainty about what the Bible teaches on this matter or that matter might range, but that doesn't mean I don't know it. That's right. And we act on those certainties that we have, right? Like driving, we dri- to them. driving yeah. a car is a classic example of this. Like I'm fairly certain I'm going to get home from work today. Am I a hundred percent certain that I'm going to be able to drive safely back to my condo? No, but. I'm certain enough that I'll actually get in my car and drive home. Right. Or that your car works or that you're actually in a, not in the matrix or, right. or, or whatever. That I have a home still. Yeah. No, all now, those things. Now, going back to doctrine, though, wouldn't you say, Jeff, that there are some doctrines of th- or things about God that we are very certain on mm-hmm. and other things that, although I might be certain on it personally, it's, it's up for debate. I'm not. Yeah, this is why we use the language of like open and closed hand issues and things. There's mm-hmm. some things the Bible speaks with with quite cl- with a lot of clarity, and some things that are a little bit more mysterious to us. Mm-hmm. What I don't want us to get to the point of we can debate what those are. There's lots of different ways to do that. But I what I don't want us to get to the point of is hiding behind this idea. And this is not. I'm please don't hear me as saying that the the emailer is doing this. But I just don't want it. This is something that's ripe in the rife, 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 rife. The, the evangelical world is rife with the idea that the Bible's unclear, therefore we have to we have to kind of abandon it as being a source of knowledge. Mm. No, that's not true. There is a doctrine of the clarity of Scripture that I fully believe. The yes. Bible is clear; it's accessible. Mm-hmm. The Lord has made it so, mm-hmm. made it so. In fact, that even the the unlearned farmers can understand what God is saying about Himself and be certain about it. Right, but it's also deep. In the sense that I don't know if you're ever going to get to the because it's dealing with the subject of God. I don't know if you're ever going to get to the point where you've exhausted its mm-hmm. riches, mm-hmm. Yep. Yes. but you've tasted of them, <clears throat> and that taste is true. So here's here's I I just want to talk about the I want to talk about so how do you interpret something though, and even the email itself is a good example. So here's we get an email sent to us, uh, we read it at first glance and oftentimes our first glance is just you know we skim it a little bit and so we we think we understand what the person means by that so we start in that in that place a second reading of it oftentimes reveals a little bit more of the meaning mm-hmm. right and then a third reading will do even more and then if i know the guy and i do I understand what the way he thinks. I've talked to him before. I understand we read other, several emails from him before. See, now I'm going to I'm going to get a little bit closer. This is what we call the hermeneutical spiral. We start mm. spiraling in closer and closer to the meaning. And listen, if it's not in writing and I were to be able to sit down and look in his eyes and have him mm. explain exactly what he means by each phrase, I'm going to get closer to the meaning of the communication a- act. Mm. Say I don't have access to him. What if I know somebody who did know him though? Mm-hmm. And I talked to them. Or maybe I knew somebody who uh, lived near him during that time and talks in the same kinds of language that he... Do you, do you understand? I'm yeah, going to spiral more, more and more and more into yeah. it. This is what happens with the scripture. So you read a passage once, it's sort of kind of clear. 
Second time, a little bit more. Third time, a little bit more. Next thing, you start getting into historical backgrounds, and so you're dealing with it because it's a different world, maybe a different worldview. Mm -hmm. And so you start understanding a little bit more of the worldview of the day, and then you start spiraling in and in and in and in. My point is, what I've just described to you is not a matter of like inaccessibility. You get, it's so far out there, there's no way for us to get to it, which is a postmodern claim. It's just a matter of work. It's, it's just a matter of experience and work and a willingness to do the hard yards of trying to understand the intent of an author. And it's not divination. This is something that uh, I think is important. What do you mean by that? In our culture, that you get this sense that it's like you have to divine the spirits, right? It's like you got to somehow... Close your eyes and whatever you feel. Yeah, exactly. And it becomes this very subjective method of trying to figure out, well, what's God saying to you through this text? Right. It's like, no, no, no. We're looking to understand the intended meaning of the author. And you don't ever do that with any other communication act in your life, by the way. You don't try to divine the meaning. You don't, you don't say... It's funny. People get mad. But by treating if you it don't that understand way, what they intended. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> so they write you a second email and say, you didn't understand <laughs> what I'm saying. But right. B- by treating the Bible that way, do we, um, un- are, are we not recognizing enough the, the value and the role of the Holy Spirit in interpretation? That might be a, a pushback by, you by have to By treating the Bible what way? Just clarify. Just as like a history textbook where you're just trying to get the author's intent and that's, that's all. <clears throat> right? So if you throw the... For people who would say, no, the reason why you need to do the divination process is because you have, you like, the Holy Spirit is the one who's going to bring the truths to mind. Can you so describe, by, describe divination process, though, so we know what we're talking about? Yeah, I don't know. I'm just trying to be the devil's oh, advocate. Well, Andy, you go. No, sure. I agree. I agree. It's a good question. I'm just wondering if you can describe it for people who are listening so you know what we're, we're talking about. Well, people will do it in different ways, and they've done it throughout throughout time i mean you can have one one way of you know divining something by throwing some chicken bones and depending upon how they land you know that's gonna say something Mm. or you can have something where you know in a christian context you flip open your bible and you throw your finger at a word or or a a verse and that's god speaking to you right or the close your eyes when you have a passage and you you look at the passage and you close your eyes and whatever you feel is the passage's meaning is, is what the passage is meaning. By the way, the Lord can use all of those. The chicken bones, the closing your eyes and feelings. The Lord can use, he can use a donkey to talk to Balaam. <laughs> so he can use all of those <coughs> to communicate something to somebody. Mm-hmm. So that it is possible the Lord does that, and I think he has in the history of the world. But the question is, if you want to understand what God is teaching through his word, how should you how should you do this? And you guys are saying don't don't divine it like that. Right. Yeah, I mean I think if you want to know, obviously it's the the process that Jeff outlined earlier. You'd have to read the passage within its and understanding understand it within its immediate context. What is the author saying in that chapter? What is the author saying in that book? What was his intention in writing that specific book? in that specific time to a certain uh, to a specific audience where were they at what were they going through what were the challenges what uh, what questions are uh, what questions are being answered by the author when he's writing this letter or this book understanding all those things is important now people may ask okay so how do i do this because i'm not a theologian well, they may ask of, instead well, doesn't that sound overly scientific like aren't you just basically treating it like it's a dead cadaver and you're walking up to it and saying, okay, so I can understand this. Where's the spiritual, and where's the spirit's work in this interpretation? Um, but I would, I would say this, though. 
when uh, when a bible scholar is approaching or maybe a, just a christian opens the word of god you pray and you ask the spirit of god to reveal to you the mis- the mysteries of his truths ask him to reveal to you and you begin to do the study finding out okay so the spirit the spirit empowered the individual yeah the spirit empowered the, the author to write the text at a specific time to specific people right. so the same spirit then will show you what the intent the intent of the author was when the author was writing and yep. what principles do translate now to my 21st century to the 21st century Ezra sitting here how do they translate the spirit of god is the one who's at work but it doesn't mean now that hey because the spirit of god wrote this book uh, inspired the author 700 BC to write this book and now Ezra sitting here in the 21st century the spirit of god will take what author so and so wrote and probably give a, a and totally give a totally new meaning to this is this possible well this is where we get into I objective and know. subjective and and i think this is why it's important when we're talking about the intended meaning of the author that is going to be objective in the sense that it's going to be the same meaning for everyone that's not going to change throughout the centuries what the intended meaning of that passage was from the author now the thing where i understand the holy spirit coming into play beyond having inspired the writing itself is now how is that subjectively going to be implemented yeah, in how's it gonna apply? your life? How's that going to be applied? But objectively, it's the same for everyone. Yeah. Yes. Can I just, one of the, the Bible's teaching on its own inspiration though, it, we have a tendency of saying, well, it, it you know, the spirit, how, how do you, how do you, how do you embrace the spirit in this, in this thing? Well, Honestly, the Spirit, Ezra, you said it, the Spirit inspired the authors, right? So so the Bible is writings of men who were moved along by the Holy Spirit. So, so you need to understand that that's the way the inspiration worked. So if you want to know what the Holy Spirit is saying, read what the author intended. Because what the author intended is what the Holy Spirit intended. You cannot, you cannot divorce... To, I know it sounds like, oh, you're studying a dead cadaver. No, you're studying the living Word of God, mm. right? That the Spirit inspired, and by understanding what the author intended, you're actually understanding what God says, what the Spirit says. It's, that's not different. Uh, sorry, that, that may be very different. What the Spirit is actually saying in the text is, might be very different than what you're feeling there and in I'm the saying moment, the sure yeah. word of God is what the author meant, not what you're feeling necessarily. But the but the Holy Spirit may be convicting oh, you, doubt. right, from what the passage and he will is teaching. He mm-hmm. will exactly. But here's my concern: that you might be convicted about something in your spirit that's not actually being taught in the text. In that particular text, okay. And I'm yeah. being yeah. I'm concerned now because this is what happens. This is what legalists end up doing. Hmm. They end up reading a passage. They end up taking what the author did not intend. And then saying, "Well, thus saith the Lord," and so now, now you get people who are saying that you know to have a tattoo is a sin, <laughs> or whatever. Do you understand what I mean? Right. Like th- this is my concern. Hmm. So, do we want to have a, a quick summary of the the conversation around this topic from from one of you guys? What can I? I I'll we... say that this is a subject in my our Thursday morning theology class. We spend so many weeks talking about hermeneutics, uh, and we were going to have several classes in the next few months, even next year, and stuff. Some some stuff that's going to be tied together with some of our um, mm. immersed program, the stuff we're doing for some theological education through our local church here. That just keep your kind of ears open. If this is something that interests you, and it, it 
interest a lot of people, then keep your ears open. There will be some classes that will be had where we can do some give and take about what what this looks like and and what the problems are and right ways to understand the Bible's inspiration and how to understand it. Right. And we do have uh, a little bit of a space restriction on the Thursday theology class, but we have some openings for sure for next year. So if you're interested in that class, just email extra at northview.org. And uh, if we can, we will get you in that class, which is going to start up again in September. Okay, next question is uh, a Northview person wrote in and said that over the last uh, few months, they've come into contact with a few uh, learned attenders at Northview who are quite convinced of the truths that open theism presents. So the question is, what is open theism and is it a biblical concept or does it change the attributes of God too much? Uh, open theism is, a belie- it. is the belief that God does not know the future. Uh, it's the belief that God, in order to preserve uh, the ultimate human freedom, he has limited not just his power, but his knowledge. Or some would say he just doesn't even have access to the to the future, right? And but he's chosen to make the world in such a way, yeah, with with what genuinely free human beings, and the only way for them to be genuinely free is if God limits his power over them, right, to influence their will, or sorry, not to influence, but to 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 uh, preserve, to control, or mm-hmm. any anything their will and. He limits his knowledge so that he doesn't actually know even what they're d- going to do because there's a there's a level of um, there's a level of control perceived if the, if God knows that mm-hmm. you're going to act if Greg if he knows you you know before the foundations of the world that you're going to punch at me in the face right now that can you do the other right well the answer is no so that means that you're not in the language of philosophers libertarianly free so. Well, and that now that's open for debate. Just so you know, oh, without a doubt, there right, are people, people who, like myself would say, "No, God can know the future, and you still freely chose it." Right? Those aren't mutually exclusive. So, anyway, open theists. You need to understand, though, the draw of open theism uh, in a world where there is so much pain and heartache. Right? Uh, you say, "Well, how could a loving God, who knew that was going to happen?" do that let that happen so you have a couple options there you can say well he's not a loving god but if you want to say he's a loving god then what else are you left with he didn't know it was going to happen so if you can get god in a position where he doesn't know it's going to happen then he's sort of off the hook for the evil in the world well it's kind of it's interesting isn't it it's like you got this uh this this dilemma, right? And in a horn of a dilemma, what you got to do is just provide a third op- option. Right. So either God's not loving, you know, or he, in this case, didn't know it was coming. Right. Or another option would be that he has good reason for allowing Exactly. It. And that's the Bible's answer, just so you know. I mean, the, ortho- the orthodox answer to the question is, yes, God is loving and he did know it was going to happen. But he has reasons for it that either you don't know right now or none of us know right now, but his track record is such that he has proven to be right on every occasion. And the stories of the Bible show in Joseph's case and Samson's case, like the Lord has used their wicked choices and the wicked choices of others to further his own agenda Mm. in this marvelously sovereign, Mm. mixed together with human freedom world. Mm -hmm. So that's been the historical answer. I'm just saying that an open theist is rejecting that and saying, no, actually, the better answer 
for this problem is to say that God doesn't know. And by the way, the, every time I've ever heard open theism brought up, it's always in the context of suffering and evil. Oh, yeah. Why does suffering and evil uh, occur? And this has really come about as a way to answer that. Mm-hmm. So the draw to it, that, so you understand, that there, so there's a draw. If you're a learned person, uh, there's a draw to it. And if you have been, you know, if you've been schooled in philosophy and you're really committed to libertarian freedom, it's a, you say to yourself, oh, yeah, and then there are problems with the traditional Arminian re- understanding of libertarian freedom in that, yes, there is, there is a level of, not control, but a level of, if God knows it's going to happen, you can't, you're not free to do the other, is the language that's used. So, in order for people to be really, really free, God has to, like, open theism is a consistent philosophical argument. It really mm-hmm. is. However, it's just not biblical. Like, there are some places in the Bible where there's some language that's used, so the Lord changes his mind mm-hmm. occasionally. So that creates some, that, ooh, that sounds like open theism. Mm-hmm. The, the biggest problem is, is when God is foretelling the future, such as Jesus telling Peter he's going to deny him three times. Right. Now, an open theist is going to say, well, did God really know that, or was he just really sure? Yeah, that is, it a, is it a best guess? Is God just a really good gambler, mm-hmm. right? And he wins a lot because, you know, he knows a lot. He knows a lot about what's presently happening. What was interesting is my Which friend. By, by the way, that sounds a lot like knowing the future. By the way, yeah, I had a dear friend. I have a dear <laughs> friend who's an open theist, and uh, he was, you know, we were involved. I mean, New Zealand together for a long time, and he um, he uh, was caused a lot of trouble during the tsunamis in two thousand four, because what was interesting about tsunamis in two thousand four is that they came and they uh, the tsunami that hit uh, the Sri Lanka and and. Mm-hmm. India, they they hit the coast like, I don't know, 20 minutes after the actual, 20, 30 minutes after the actual earthquake took place. So there's this 20-minute time period between, so my my friend who's like, well, no, God doesn't know the future. That's why all these horrible things happen is because God can't, he can't control them in that way. His job is to clean up the mess and to use the mess mm-hmm. to construct something better, right? So somebody who knocks over a bunch of Legos, God is always there working together to build it back up into something better. Isn't that cool? Yeah, the problem The problem is the tsunami caused him a lot of trouble because here's a situation where there was a 30-minute time span between the actual, you know, natural evil event, the earthquake, and the tsunami that was going to hit the shore. And there were lots of ways for God to, in that time, provide <laughs> warning Right. to these people. So he was going through a real crisis in his heart in the end. My, I bring this up because I don't think that any way you, you spin this, you're mm-hmm. going to get out from under the idea that God created a world where evil was not only possible and 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 either, either he knew about it, either he decided to make it exactly the way he, he, he did for an ultimate purpose. Uh, like, Either that's the case, or he didn't know about it, but he knew it was a possibility because he's not stupid. Well, that's the thing, right? right? But he made this world the way it could work. You're not out from underneath the problem. Yeah, I don't think it gets you out of the problem because if he doesn't know the future, they would still concede that he knows enough of information being in his knowledge that he would would with with uh, absolute certainty know that Peter's going to deny him three times. So then he knows a lot of other things. But yet, these are all allowed. To I mean, occur. you have you have Does passages. You have passages in Exodus, for example, where he talks about Pharaoh. He raised Pharaoh up for a specific purpose. There's intent hmm. there. 
<laughs> like he knows exactly what he's going to do. He knows exactly what this future will look like. So even in Genesis uh, 12, when he's calling Abraham, Genesis 15, he makes this covenant with him. Yes, God knows exactly what he was going to do, and he executed what he's going to do. Well, you have language in Revelation, right? He, the, 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 the son who is, or the lamb who is slain before the foundations of the world. These sorts of, uh-huh. This sort of language causes all sorts of trouble for an open theist. It's not been difficult for, for people who are really committed to Scripture to argue against open theism. Yes, there are passages in Scripture that do create a little bit of a challenge, something like the fact that God changed what they call as divine repentance, the idea that God changes his mind. Well, what do we do with those texts? Yes, that is a good point. And we need to understand those well and try to answer it. Uh, But the overwhelming testimony of Scripture is that God not only knows the future, but he has pretty much control over whatever he wants to control. Mm-hmm. So I, at the end of the day, the question is ultimately, <clears throat> should, we, should we be addressing this issue more pointedly because there are people in our congregation who hold that view? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, we'll do it. we're doing it now, but this is part of what it means to be a, a brother or sister in Christ is to correct one another when we see each other off base when it comes to Scripture. And so mm-hmm. I, I can only do so much from the pulpit. Like We can do it in our classes and stuff like that. But the viewpoint of Northview is that, no, we, we're not open theists, and we don't believe that to be the truth of what Scripture teaches. So it's outside the bounds of what we would say a member could, could believe and still be in good standing and membership. We would never let somebody teach here who would have that viewpoint. And if we knew that they had that viewpoint, then we would probably have some conversations with them regarding what they meant by what they said. And if they maintained that view, we would, we, we would ask them to, to no, no longer teach here. Yeah. I think, I think in, in any church, you will have people and members who come into the church, mm-hmm. uh, attend or become members, but then they believe things that are probably not what we would believe doctrinally. And so, through the preaching of the word, through small groups, through various circles, conversations being had, things like these emerge. And it's in those points where now we bring correction as we open the word of God together. I know there are people in our church who believe things about prayer that are not true, mm. but they still come. They are faithful. But what they believe about uh, prayer, uh, Holy Spirit, what they believe about the Trinity, uh, not biblical. Mm. But then as we continue to walk in grace, uh, the the lowly correction. Good. Hey guys, thanks for uh, taking the time and answering these questions. Uh, if you have a question you want the extra team to answer, send those into extra at northview.org. Thanks to our guests for sitting in and observing. You guys have a, I don't know if I said this already, but the podcast that the Children's Ministries uh, recording will come out this fall, correct? So they can keep their eyes open for that. Do you guys know what it's called? At home. At home. So, Stay tuned. Will you for be that. doing it at home? No, they'll be doing it at here. home. Like, will you be sitting in your pajamas and not doing? She says no. Second question: I would be doing it is at it, home. Is it at home like at or like the at sign? Oh, the, the at, at sign. sign. Ooh, clever, trendy, clever. Love it. It's yeah. like Steiger with the money sign. <laughs> it's it's like hashtag. <laughs> we can rename ours hashtag extra, huh? And no, we could, we could just call ours hashtag and just have the hashtag sign. Oh, yeah. It's like Prince because he right. just had that little That's right. sign there. Uh, Apple. They just didn't even call it. They don't have Apple and it's just a little Apple. 
Steiger, you should have that. You should get so famous. Just the money sign. So that you just the money sign becomes or a unicorn. We yeah. no, that's mixed. Your mixed brand. Your your mixed messaging. Your brand now. I do like this cut though. Uh, thanks to the silent producer Pucci. Appreciate it. Hopefully this one actually recorded, and uh, we'll see you at church on the weekend.